welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, you might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> welcome back, everybody, for another Flex Success Podcast. You're joined with myself, Dean, co-host, Lizzie, and wonderful co-coach, co-host, not co-host, just coach, coach. Chelsea. Weirdo. How are you going, Chelsea? I'm great. How are you guys? Thanks for coming back on. We can't complain. Short morning, full of coffee and chokes. Yeah, and we live in one of a few states in Australia that can roam freely. So Yeah, that's true. You know, we can't really complain. Mm. For the, <laughs> those who think that me and Dean are, are really kinky and are choking each other out, I'm practicing <laughs> some BJJ submission moves on Dean. And um, I learned at the triangle choke last night, and I tried it on Dean this morning. But because his delt muscle is so large, his own shoulder was choking him before I could even complete the choke. So, <laughs> poor, poor guy. I, was, I tapped and she was like, I haven't finished him, but I'm choking from my own shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's been a great morning for us, Because I, I legit have always used my shoulders as a proxy for when I've achieved enough scapular elevation and protraction in a chin-up. <laughs> when your because shoulders touch for your those head. that are at home like when i get into this position like my delts actually cut off my carotid <laughs> and i'm like there's blood pressure pull back oh so that was essentially it because the, the triangle choke is the arm above the head across the neck job yeah <laughs> and i knew i was in trouble the moment it started no choking for you this morning chelsea no choking for me no Okay. Just on tuna because it's a garbage food product. It's not. Before we press record, Dean was telling us about his dislike for tuna. Specifically tinned or canned tuna. Mm. Uh, but it's a great emergency protein, isn't it? Yep. I always keep some in my purse. Mm. Really. Shelf stable. <laughs> Chelsea's, Chelsea's playing neutral here. She Before before we started recording, she said Dean was right, Liz was right. Oh, yeah. That's exactly and what then happened. And she'll eat it if she must. Uh, speaking of myths... <laughs> Today, <laughs> we wanted to do some Mythbusters, and we, Chelsea put together a list of some myths that she thought would be handy to go over, and they're all things that people have asked or said to her very recently, and there's a lot, and because the podcast is about an hour, we don't really have enough time to go into all of them, but maybe Chelsea will let you pick. You've got your list. Where are we going to start? We're going to rapid fire. Yeah. yeah, perhaps. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just feel like there's been a, like so much confusion out there. And even like with coaches, you know, there's been times where we believe something and then had to change our point of view. And um, just kind of understanding things in a greater way and breaking through all of the messages that are out there to get down to the truth can be really helpful for people. So, um, yeah, so I have a big list. But yeah, I guess we'll just start with just like a simple one, being that white potatoes are unhealthy. The reason that this one um, makes me chuckle a little bit is because people say like eat clean, eat unprocessed foods. And even if that's your belief about what a, a clean or healthy food is, it's a food that's 100% from nature. It's unprocessed. It's low in calories. It's high in nutrients. What about it is unhealthy? I, I just don't really know where to start with that Because one. white potato makes fries. Is it because it's white and <laughs> we're racist in nutrition? Reverse racism. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> I think it's, I think honestly, it's the association with fries and potato chips or crisps for those playing in the UK. Yeah. I, yeah and I think it's like just the, the color white is like more associated with process. So like white bread is processed and like, you know, 
bodybuilding um, in that kind of world, they always talk about sweet potatoes. Um, and so I think like the white potatoes sometimes just got forgotten and almost looked at, almost looked at it as a processed food, even though it really isn't. Yeah. I don't know about you in Detroit, but here in Australia, white chips on the menu are like, you know, eight bucks or whatever, which I still think is very overpriced for chips or whatever. And then if you go ahead and get sweet potato chips, exactly the same thing, just a yellow potato, not a white potato, you can tack on another 50%. In price. In wow. price. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, sweet potato fries would be like $12. Hmm. They're at least, they're definitely more expensive. And when you go to like healthy burger joints um, or, you know, healthy restaurants, they will only have sweet potato chips, not white chips. Yeah. And yeah, what's funny about that is, you know, um, gram for gram in terms of weight, sweet potato actually has more calories than uh-huh. white potato, you know, and white potato um, is a lot more satiating when you eat it, especially if it's, if there's nothing on it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel, I mean, to play devil's advocate, people might be thinking that white potato is unhealthy and sweet potato is healthy because sweet potato has slightly more fiber. But that's like saying cucumbers are unhealthy because they don't have as much fiber as, uh, I don't know, let's say like flax seeds. But we can't just compare foods or put them on a scale of healthy to unhealthy based off fiber because there's lots of other nutrients that we want to consider as well when thinking about how nutrient dense is this food. Mm. So I still, I'm still kind of lost where that comes from. I just think it's, yeah, varied micronutrients, but varied doesn't mean better or worse. It just means varied. Yeah. You know? Because that like white potatoes are full of nutrients, mm-hmm. full of good stuff. So are sweet potatoes, but sweet potatoes are also more calorically dense, like Chelsea said. So interestingly speaking, so long as you're eating other oranges and other yellows in your vegetables, you could probably actually eat more white potato, be more satiated, and quote unquote potentially be healthier because it would be easier to manage body weight. Mm, there you go. Do you have spotlight potatoes, Chelsea? Where you are? No, not over here. Have you heard of them? Yeah, I had them when I was in Australia. Yeah. Can you taste the difference? Yeah, the texture is a little different. They're terrible for chips. Yeah. We like oh, to put okay. our, our white potato chips, because we're so unhealthy, in the air fryer. And they don't go as um, like mashed potato in the middle. They don't go as soft. Or as crispy on the outside. Yeah. The one cool thing about the spud lights, though, is they are lower fiber than typical white potatoes. So you get 1% less carbs. Like, woohoo! Not a lot. You know, so it's not that it's mm. not really worth it for the volume. But they are yeah. the fiber, so you don't like jack your fiber up through your diet like crazy when you're eating a kilo. Yeah, well, it depends what you're doing. Because I have some people that eat so much plant food that their fiber is too high, and they just can't go for things like blackberries and raspberries because mm. it just, you know. Um, so they have to consider lower fiber foods. Whereas other people who typically are plant food avoiders need to lean towards more fibrous yeah. foods. So yeah, it's context dependent. Yeah, I'll spot mm. people in a contest. Uh, prep peak week mm. because it means I can get more potassium in through potatoes and carbs and less fiber. But then in normal life, I just write white potato. Yeah. Hey, Charles, do you want to talk us through um, it, where potatoes sit when we're talking about the energy density scale and the nutrient density scale? Sure. So potatoes sit lower on the energy density scale, meaning for their weight, they will have a lower amount of calories. So you can eat a higher volume of potatoes for a lower amount of calories than, say, something like pizza or chocolate. But in 
um, in contrast, they also have high nutrient density, which is um, great because it has a lot of vitamins and minerals that we are looking for. So not only can you eat a higher volume of potatoes, but also you're getting a lot of nutrients with it. So it's actually a really healthy food for you to eat. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my confusion to why people say that white potatoes are unhealthy is only increasing because it's lower in calories and high in nutrients. So what the... And one of the most satiating foods you can possibly eat when boiled. Yeah. That's right. You know. It's actually, well, I like to add a bit of butter and salt to my mashed potatoes. Yeah. yeah. You should, <laughs> should add that asterisk of when boiled with no additional flavor. <laughs> All right. We've got to live a little, Dean. And eaten without water. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, All right. We've just done each other over twice. I was going to say, Liz needs to hit you up for the next myth. Chelsea's gone. Ah. Go on. <laughs> okay. So the next one we'll talk about is how people, some people think that they should avoid fruit because of the high sugar. Mm, radio. I have a friend who has an uncle who's an alcoholic. Um, his choice of drink is wine. So he drinks fermented grapes but he doesn't eat fruit because it's got too much sugar in it unless it's fermented in a wine, apparently, um, (laughs) which is a really weird contrast of behaviors. Where do you think this one comes from, Chelsea? Gosh, I think this is just um, like not seeing the trees through the forest or the forest through the trees kind of thing where people are just too narrowed in on something. I think when you hear something so black and white, just don't have don't have fruit and you can lose weight or you can see big changes. Um, It's just something that people can remember and grasp onto. And sometimes when those connotations get stuck in our head, it's hard to get rid of them until you kind of really understand the bigger picture. Hmm. So, um, so I think that's kind of where, because fruit does have, uh, most fruits do have higher sugar content than vegetables or other whole foods. Um, But I think the bigger picture is to say that, there's probably other things that you could look to improve on your diet before taking out a food group like fruit, because while the sugar is higher, it's all natural sugar and there's a lot of fiber and vitamins and minerals included in it as well. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, so it's, it's a little bit different. higher sugar than vegetables, but vegetables are the food that's the absolute lowest in calories and sugar. So if we compare it to the absolute lowest, yes, it has more, but it's got far less than like lollies and and sauces and bread and things like that. How about where does fruit sit on the calorie or energy density scale and the nutrient density scale? Uh, It depends on the type of fruit, but if we're talking about fresh fruit, um, something like berries or peaches, um, that one has uh, lower energy density. So meaning that you can have a higher volume of it for less calories. Mm. And obviously we talked about how there's higher nutrient density in it. Mm. So that's the best. But then as you get down, like there are some fruits that are higher in terms, like compare comparatively. So things like apples and bananas may have more carbs in them than some of the other fr- fruits like watermelon or things like that. Yeah. So it depends on the type of fruit. And obviously if you're going for dried fruit versus fresh fruit. Yeah, there's a huge difference there. So bananas are like 20% carbs, meaning for 100 grams of banana, you're getting 20 grams. So they're the highest of the fresh fruit. Apples are like 12%, if I'm and, and pears as well, yeah. if I'm remembering. Whereas, great, great shot there. Yeah, whereas mm-hmm. um, strawberries have four grams of carbs. They are the, they are the 
the king of king of fruit. Yeah. When it comes to energy density anyway. Cheap right now in Australia too. So I've been smashing them. So, I mean, we're ranging there anywhere between four and 20, which seems like a tight range, but still 20% carbs isn't that much when we consider the energy density of like, let's say pasta or rice or other carbs. It's still low, even if you're looking at the highest fresh fruit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah so again, like, and typically extremely satiating too. Like there's some really cool research on just eating a piece of fruit or a vegetable prior to a meal, reducing the amount of calories you then consume thereafter. Because they do have, like you said, Charles, lots of vitamins and minerals, lots of fiber, and that the energy density is quite low, which means they're quite voluminous in water. So it's going to fill you up more. Yeah. Dean's um, talking about a concept called preloading. Um, and you can do preloading very wrong. If people try and preload on food that has high energy density, you tend to actually increase the amount of calories that you eat if you combine the calories of your preload or your snack before the meal and the actual meal. But if you combine the calories of a low energy dense preload, so fresh fruit and vegetables, plus the calories of the meal, you end up eating less when you consume fruit beforehand. Yep. I'm a cereal carrot snacker. You do love a carrot. When I, when I cook. Um, where do you think, you know, is there any other things you think people would get wrong with this? Like I, you typically hear people talk about fructose. And fruit. And I think that's why it gets labelled as a negative too. Why? Because people think that you're just going to eat too well, much. Fructose food. makes you fat, please. Oh, does it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <man. laughs> Tell me about that, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think this comes from um, rat studies on sugar-laden sugar soft drinks that are man-made sugar called high fructose corn syrup. Damn you, Americans. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's your fault, Chelsea. Everything wrong with the world is America's fault. And the consumption <laughs> of those then being uh, like leading towards all cause mortality, things like uh, increased risk of obesity, increased risk of diabetes, atherosclerosis, all those kind of things. But the equivalent dosage of fructose to those rats was something like 110 grams of man made fructose per day for the large majority of their life, which would equate out to like 30 to 40 years for a human. Um, and if we take a banana, as the highest carbohydrate-laden fruit, and you can fresh average fruit. fresh fruit, you can average about fifty percent of the carbs that come from fructose. There's varied in this. Sometimes it's twenty, sometimes it's sixty or seventy, but average down the middle fifty. So there's like ten grams of fructose in one reasonable size banana, and that would mean you'd have to eat ten to twelve of those a day, every day, in order to hit that fructose target that was in those studies, which still isn't even the same. Um, so I think people think because this one particular group of people who are talking about this fructose having an impact on obesity, that they've just extrapolated that out and say, oh, fructose equals bad, not fructose in the context of man-made fructose consumed in 10, excess. 10 to 15 times what any normal human would do for 40 years straight. Man, this reminds mm. me of the MSG studies where yeah, they injected huge amounts of MSG directly into rats' brains and showed that there was particular effects on X, Y, and Z. So people are like, ah, oh, MSG is bad. Mm. Not unless you're injecting it directly into mm-hmm. your brain. Or consuming it in like huge amounts. And, yeah. yeah. Now those numbers I mentioned may be slightly off, but it's essentially the same concept. And mm. uh, one thing I think people really don't understand with fruit is that not all fruit sugar is fructose. Yes. Like there's yeah. there's this weird association with that or assumption that it is, and it's usually not. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't matter. Anything. <laughs> The devil's in the dosage. So unless you're eating fruit by the basket full all day, every day, oh. you're not going to have a problem. Well, have you ever heard of Freely the Banana Girl? No. She was a... Uh, <laughs> That's a good thing. You don't want to. She was a, a vegan advocate and she pretty much ate bananas as one of her exclusive foods. 
And she was doing something in the vicinity of like 30 to 40 of them a day. Consist- oh my goodness. Yeah, yeah. Um, hence the name Freely the Banana Girl. I don't know how much of it was just for show or how much it was consistently done. But just for just for sheer joke and laugh, like that girl was very skinny. She was also like quite under muscles because she didn't train. But um, no issue with weight management despite eating 30 to 40 bananas a day. So hmm. the fruit in isolation is not bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So the point there is like the fruit didn't make her fat even though she's eating far too much of it. Yeah, even though she's eating an excessive amount because her, her calories, calories were controlled on. because she wasn't eating other fat-laden foods and like calorie-laden foods and she was within the, the energy balance that her body needed and despite the fact that it was primarily coming from fruit, didn't matter. Yeah, not that that's good for health. Though. We wouldn't recommend it, but no. the point is that it, <laughs> that, it, um, <laughs> that it won't impact you the way that people think it will. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, just like when people think sugar is bad for you and maybe so that's where it could have came from as well because, mm. you know, fruit, fruit does have higher sugar, so they just think, cool, anything with sugar I need to cut out and not taking into account all of the good things that fruit has to offer as well. Mm. Oh. Definitely. What's our next myth? Um, should we talk about one about training that people think? Let's yeah. do it. Okay. So how about this one? So think judging the, um, judging your progress in the gym based on how much you sweated or how much soreness you had the next day or how fatigued you were throughout the session. All right. So this is coming from the fact that people are saying, Oh man, I'm making so much progress because my workouts feel harder. Look how sweaty I am. Isn't like um, sweat fat, right? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, my mom's friend, she does pump classes and she says when she feels like her thigh muscles working and burning when she's working out, it's, it's the feeling of her fat dying, which is a really good <laughs> way to think about it, but I, really inaccurate. I used to say when I would get muscle twitches that it was my muscle having sex and making bigger muscles. <laughs> oh, is that how that happened? No, definitely not. Just made that <laughs> Didn't learn that one. Yeah. <laughs> Funny. So um, tell us, Chelsea, is that really a proxy for progress? How sweaty you get or how fatiguing your workouts feel? I like to look at the training at the gym um, as a way to become stronger or build more muscle. So even if you're looking to lose weight and that's your main goal, when you're going into the gym, the goal there is to perform, perform the best you can um, and, and build as much muscle as possible or even preserve as much mus- muscle as possible. Um, so the only way to do that is to continue to practice the same movements over and over and get better at them, develop better skill, better technique, um, and then eventually increase the load and increase your control, which will help you to make progress. Um, and the way to do that is to follow a proper training program and to track your weights and to track your performance over time to ensure you're getting better. If you just go in thinking, okay, and, and just doing a, a random workout or maybe even joining a workout class, that, that will work for a while, but there'll be a point where your body um, just will need more stimulus in a more controlled manner, and it will adapt to what you've been doing. So um, soreness and fatigue and how much you sweat is really, really subjective, and it's just um, not really uh, optimal way to go about making progress. Mm. So I uh, throw a couple of rapid fire questions at you, Chelsea. Can you gain muscle without sweating? Yes. Okay. Can you gain muscle without being sore? Yes. And can you gain muscle without being out of breath? Uh, y- yes. Yeah. 
Well, it's like the breath itself has no impact whatsoever on the growth. Right? No, I guess not. But if you're doing a hard enough set close enough to failure, you're probably going to be out of breath. Yeah. So the yeah. That was here, a hard one. That last one. <laughs> that threw me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so it's like the point here is that like how you feel isn't necessarily indicative of how successful that session would have been in producing the intended result. Right. Can I give an example of yeah. this? I am um, one of my really strong lifts is leg press and let me just get the calculator out for this bad boy. I had a really bad leg session yesterday, 16 times 20. So I've, I've put on 320 kilos on the leg press before and done it for 10 reps. And that's because I applied the principles of progressive overload that Chelsea just spoke about. You adapt to a stimulus. You have to increase that stimulus if you want to continue adapting or improving. So my leg press got really strong and I haven't done leg press in a while. Um, not seriously anyways. And I got back on the leg press yesterday and I put um, three plates aside. So what's that? 120 kilos on. Cool. So not 320, 120 kilos. And on my first set, I failed at eight. I got eight again, then five and then none. On my fourth set, I tried to do one rep and I just, I totally failed. So if I was using um how difficult i found the session yesterday's 120 kilos on the leg press where i got i failed on my first repetition i would have said wow i would have grown so much from that perhaps not compared to the 320 that i used to do mm. um and i'm not going off subjective measurements like how difficult i or how sweaty i got or anything like that um, because we need to be using quantifiable measures numbers not qualifiable measures feelings mm. Yeah, which is why programming is so important. Yeah, well, it's like if, if soreness was truly an indicator of growth, what soreness is, in, is actually indicating is obviously damage and inflammation and pain. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the more damage, the more pain, the more growth. But typically, the time in which you get the most amount of pain and inflammation is the first time you ever do an exercise. And that's the, the least amount of growth that you'll ever achieve. The, the most amount of growth you'll achieve will be doing that same thing repetitively time and time again. So it actually theoretically should be a point where as soreness goes down and skill goes up and progression goes up, growth actually starts to accumulate and get better and better and better, but it doesn't feel as painful, mm. you know? So uh, it's, it's, it's the one thing I think is probably a caveat to say to this is that the one thing about soreness that people can use is at least as an indicator that you work the appropriate muscle. Mm. But the soreness in of itself is not an indicator that that session was successful. That's true. Like if you're doing hip thrusts or something and only your back's hurting and your glutes don't even feel like they've got to work out, yeah. there's some suggestion there that you might not be using your glutes as much as you want yeah. to. Right. For sure. Yeah. And that can come down to smart programming as well because if you are just, you know, not taking appropriate rest times and actually recovering your body, then you may always feel sore and that might actually in turn hinder your progress because you won't be able to perform as well. Mm. So we shouldn't be treating our weight sessions like cardio sessions and rushing through them, Chelsea. All right. Now, just quickly, for those that are watching this on YouTube, we've cut out a couple of times. So we've got Chelsea back. Her face is going to look different because she's on a new video. So welcome back, Chelsea. <laughs> but, um, and the last myth we were talking about was that, e that sweating, um, soreness, and I can't remember the third one. Just how difficult you thought the workout was. Yeah, how difficult you thought the workout were indicators for um, successful training in regards to muscle growth. And we talked about the things you shouldn't track. What about some of the things that people should track if they actually want to try and check their, their performance? Um, I think first and foremost, you would want to track your, your uh, technique. So that would be um, either having a coach watch your, 
watch you watching yourself in the mirror or even filming yourself. Um, and then secondly, once your technique is perfect, then you can look to add more load, so more weight each week and tracking your weight over time. Um, and then also reps and and then eventually uh, you could you could decrease the rest times and play with things like that. But usually um, we, the order would be make sure your technique is perfect and then increase load and reps. And why would you say that technique is so important? Um, you know, you want to be able to standardize the reps and make sure that you have um, the proper form because if you had poor form, you could be actually training in a way that's going to harm you or even training to improve imba imbalances instead of the opposite. So the first and foremost, you wanna make sure that you're doing the form properly so that when, when you load the weight heavier, you don't risk injury or risk, um, or, or risk you know, building things that you don't wanna build. Mm. Yeah, I don't remember who, taught, who had this quote, but I always liked it. It was something like, uh, injuries don't occur because of additional weight lifted, but because of a change in technique under new load. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of people do wrong. They change the way in which they train in order to move more weight instead of just letting uh, weight be a slight increase. They're trying to push it too much. Mm. Ego gets in the way. Typically, ego. Yeah, there's a lot of different um, schools of thought around this one. Um, I hope I'm not roughing up any feathers when I say... I do. Damon Hayhow uh, <laughs> likes to look at... It's biologic labs, right? No, like, no, no, definitely not biologic labs. Okay, not that. <laughs> yes. My bad. That's Alex, isn't it? No. Also not... <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, just Damon Hayhow likes to um, tell people to lift in a way that you can lift as much weight as possible and really puts minimal focus on technique. And yes, it gets you bigger, stronger lifts in the short term, but they tend to get injured so frequently that they take so much time off training and there's so many missed opportunities. So really with this, it's slow and steady wins the race would be the method that you want to go for here. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like your point about like not getting um, too greedy too fast. So, you know, if you were to deadlift once a week, every week, and every single week you added one kilo to the bar in 24 weeks, you know, if you had a straight progression, you'd be lifting 24 kilos more. So over time you get a lot stronger than looking back. Um, you can, you can kind of uh, see your projection. And I think you always kind of look, how, in the way that you lift. So the better your form and the heavier that you lift, typically the better your body will look as well. Yeah. Mm. While we're on technique, do you want to just give us a quick rundown of range of motion, what it is and why it's so important? Uh, range of motion. Yeah, sure. So like bringing your muscle through the, through its full full range basically. Uh, and it's so important because if you, if you don't go through the full range of motion, you're missing out on really engaging that muscle to its full capacity mm. um, and also standardizing the reps. So we just want to make sure every rep looks the same, the, the first one and the last one, even though it will get more challenging um, as you get deeper into the set, you want to make sure that your form stays um, as perfect as, as possible. Mm. Again, using leg press as an example, a short or shallow range of motion would mean that you know, I unwrap the sled of the leg press and I only bend my knees a small amount before I straighten them back out. And I'm like, one rep, two reps. And sure, I can do way more weight, but I'm going to have much more stimulus and get much more benefit from maybe halving the weight or taking a significant amount of weight off and bringing my knees all the way to my armpits, if I can get that far, mm. um, and pushing back out. 
And it's not as good for your ego because you might only be pushing 300 kilos as opposed to five or 600 kilos, but it's not about what people think about your leg press or how much weight it looks like you're using. It's about what's the actual benefit to you from that exercise. Yeah. I also think full range of motion will um, decrease the necessity for you to then do like adjunct exercise to maintain range of mobility, range of motion and mobility. Cause if you train through a full range, you likely will also be able to move for a th- through a full range in day to day passively and actively in day to day life. Yeah. Do you want to Dean talk us through when it might be appropriate to do um, like shallow reps, like maybe accessory work on bench or something? Uh, I would like your range change should be just done if there's yeah, a specific reason. So for example, you could argue that you could, you could train a shorter range bench press off a pin or a pause, say halfway down the normal range in it with a heavier weight to try and improve lockout strength. That could be like a direct association with those. doesn't necessarily mean it'll work. Yeah. That would be but, for um, powerlifters that struggle with locking out their bench. press. Maybe. I don't know if it's actually a viable reason to uh-huh. do that. Um, but there, there, uh, there are some exceptions to the rule is the point that we're making. Yeah. 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 You can change the range so long as you have a reason to change the range. And it's likely because you're trying to achieve a very specific goal in that range. Yeah. To improve a portion of a rep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, while we're on exercise, I know one other thing that most people bring up is something like fasted cardio. <laughs> do you need to do faster cardio in order to burn all of the fats? no you do not (laughs) i think i think this is another one where you have to look at the bigger picture so wherever you do your cardio you'll be burning basically the same amount of calories so you just have to then look at what else you're eating throughout that day because if you burned 300 calories in the morning but then you still ate you know say you're following a macro strategy and you're still eating to your maintenance calories well it doesn't matter what time you did it yeah um if you feel good, if you feel better getting up in the morning and doing your cardio straight away, then that's up to you. But if you're somebody that feels better after, you know, being awake for a few hours and maybe eating before having some more energy, then it'd probably be better to do it in the afternoon because you'll get more out of that cardio session anyway. Mm. And so you're also suggesting here that the, the option for doing it in the morning is more good to do with setting up your day, how you feel and preference than it does to actually do with the burning of calories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I don't like to eat breakfast too early um, because then, you know, I'm awake for mm, 14 hours, 16 hours of the day, something like that. And if I start eating too early, I have to spread my meals out too much. So I actually take my dog out for a walk in the morning and I don't eat for like an hour or two after I get up only because that works better for me because then I have a shorter eating window and I don't feel as hungry. Um, but I'm not doing it because hashtag fasted cardio. So it's not to say that fasted cardio is bad, but it's just not any more beneficial. That's right. Yes. For the most part. For the most part. I'm only going to say that because contextually, if you were ever a a performance enhancing drug using athlete, there may be some benefit to potentially timing some stuff with some different pharmacology, but that's a whole other kettle of fish. And we're not talking to those people. So it doesn't matter. But yeah, do it when you can do it the most consistently. Are you interested in giving us a little insight into that? Uh, no, I don't think it's necessary for this podcast. It's probably something you'd unpick further on, on a podcast that's maybe very specific to that. But the, the long and the short of the story would be is that there are certain ingredients or, or substances you can take that will drive up the opportunity to break down and utilize fats. Uh, and if you can do that in an environment where there's no other energy going in, 
via food, then you're essentially maximizing that process just to be a little bit better. Mm. It still comes down to energy balance. You can't beat energy balance with drugs. Um, but it's kind of just like if we can maximize that scenario, maybe why not? But if yeah. it's a burden on your life, then that doesn't matter. It's completely yeah. relevant again, which is still the same scenario as what Chelsea was talking about before. It's not a low-hanging fruit. No. Um, you're going to get way more benefit by focusing on adequate protein intake, sleep, recovery, smart programming, fasted cardio. Ain't one of Even minimizing the stress associated with getting up in the morning. If you're somebody that really hates it, like the, the impact that stress then may have actually even on things like your ability to assimilate nutrients, uh, you know, general inflammation, recovery scores, sleep and all that kind of jazz, it's never going to outweigh all of the negatives to those those things. So Sometimes people's poor mood means that they emotionally eat mm. and that's not affecting <laughs> calorie balance in the right way. Likewise, if they sleep less to get up and do it. Yeah. You know, I really kind of enjoy just getting up in the morning and going for a walk. So I do that because it's fun. Yeah. Not because I necessarily think it's the be all and end all. Yeah. Mm. Right. Definitely a good one. That's a burden lifted off a lot of people's shoulders. Although somehow it still exists, eh? I don't uh, know how that one still exists. Um, now, what about, so I, want to, I want to throw this one at you girls again too. You two are both very bulky, masculine-looking women. Oh, thanks, Dean. And you, you train heavy, and that's why, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now, I, that is one that I've heard. If you I, train I, heavy, you get big and, mas- and manly. Yeah, yeah. I wish that was true because I'm trying my hardest to look like a big, bulky man. Um, I'm lifting weights as heavy as I can, as often as I can. And I feel like I've just got little lady lumps on my shoulders and, and biceps still. So if it was that easy, we would all look massive. That's right. That's right. Can I just asterisk quickly that in case people didn't pick up on that, I was being very, very sarcastic. Um, because listen, I had a conversation the other day whether or not maybe sometimes our sarcasm is, is heard appropriately. Um, yeah, when we did a podcast with Tom recently, we spoke about how you definitely should be doing detoxes and this and that. Yeah. And after the podcast, I was like, oh, I hope everyone knew I was joking. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't believe these girls look bulky and masculine. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that if we do. And Liz could choke me out now. Yeah. Even, um, <laughs> but that is one. So like, yeah, you're not going to get massive if you start lifting weights. No, I mean, some women... Uh, just more genetically lucky in the sense that they put on muscle faster than others, or maybe they, their nutrition does support muscle gain. So some women grow muscle better than others. Actually, I'm quite short. So just an extra kilo or two of muscle on me is visually significant. Whereas on someone taller, not so much. So it's not like Uh it's impossible to look big and bulky, whatever that means to you. But just for most women, unless all your ducks are in a line, it ain't going to happen. Yeah, I think that's the key thing is whatever that means to you. I think when people think people that aren't, um, you know, people that go to the gym all the time or maybe just starting out in their lifting career, it, when you see people on Instagram, um, women that may be on enhancing drugs or just dedicating their lives to it, and this is what they do and this is the way they want to shape their body, that's a lot different from walking into the gym and, um, you know, doing, a, doing training four times a week. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot more that goes into it. Um, and then, yeah, to that point, nutrition. So, um, like for example, I've just come out of a comp prep, um, where I was my leanest. So I, I didn't look bulky at that stage, but as I started to put on more body fat, that's going to, that's going to make me a little bit bigger, which may give the perception that I'm a little bit bulker, bulkier, but, um, that's all part of the process. And that's something that I've chosen to go through. 
mm-hmm. by controlling your nutrition and your goal, um, I think that, that you can change how your body looks. Yeah, but you're um, looking a little bit, you don't look bulky at all, by the way, but you're looking <laughs> a little bit bulkier now because you've put on body fat. It's not because you're lifting heavy weights. You've always lifted heavy weights. It's your body fat that makes you look a little different. Mm. That's right. Yeah. yeah, And all of the intramuscular glycogen. It's so difficult to say because I actually do get called a man sometimes um, because I'm more muscular than some women. But when I compare myself to actual bodybuilders and bigger women, I feel like a little ant. So it's all in perception. So I'm sure some women look at me and like have a little like vomit inside and that's okay. Cause it's, I'm, I'm not for them. Um, but it's, it's all just like, who are you comparing yourself against? Um, mm. and the answer should be no one <laughs> ideally. <laughs> um, yeah, but big and bulky, so subjective, isn't it? Yeah. And we also have to really appreciate one Chelsea brought this up very quickly is that there are a lot of women out there that are using enhancing substances that you wouldn't even imagine that they're using. Like there's a lot of women that use stuff now. Um, so it's not a fair representation of what would happen to you naturally when you train. Mm. And then secondary to that too, Photoshop and Instagram and everyone's best Good lighting, lighting angles, being on your own makes you look a lot more muscular as opposed to standing next to somebody else who's very similar size. Like there's so many factors at play that are, are giving people a warped or morphed perception of what a muscular woman looks like. Uh, than what it actually looks like in person. So. It's funny because I do see some girls that put up um, really muscular photos on Instagram. I think they, they all look fantastic because there's so many different ways to be beautiful and I think they all are. But then I'll see them in the gym and I was like, oh, they just look way smoother and less, like still just as beautiful, but just on Instagram, they look so lean and so sharp and like their muscles look so lumpy. Mm. And in person, when they don't have a pump, when the lighting's not on them, when they're not like twisted in this weird angle, they just look fit. Oh. You mean the reverse look back booty pose? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that one. Yeah, it's a good pose though. I don't know how you do it. Hurts. I've never done it. <laughs> Lots of practice. <laughs> Are you going to practice and then teach us? Sure, I could, I could probably do that. <laughs> Dean uh, has a bubble butt. You'd be good at it. So uh, what about the reverse of this then? Does that mean that you as women should do lots and lots of reps to get toned? Oh. <laughs> I hate the word toned. Why? It really annoys me. Tone... How does one grow a toned muscle? <laughs> <laughs> Look, muscles can do a couple of things. They can shrink or they can grow. Fat can do a couple of things. It can shrink or it can grow. So when women say, I want to look toned, what they mean is... I want to have less fat and or I want to have more muscle. So we're going to lose fat by taking charge of our nutrition, eating in a hypocaloric diet or a deficit, uh, or and building some muscle. So how do we build muscle? We need to look at uh, you know your volume, how frequently you're training that muscle, how close to failure you're getting in your sets, your recovery, all of that stuff. So that's why I hate toned because... What, the, what does that mean? Like, you mean you want to lose fat or you mean you want to build muscle? Like, let's get to the point, ladies. Yep. Yeah. So the answer is unequivocally no. The answer is what the fuck is toned? <laughs> That's the answer. I can't answer that question because tone doesn't mean anything. No, well, let's, let's draw this back. So, like, let's just say toned meant a reduction in body fat and increase in muscle mass. Okay. Chelsea before was talking about the things that we should measure if we want to grow muscle mass. And it's not based on sweating and burning, mm. but rather it's based on progressive overload. Mm. And the same rule applies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. those those that are doing a thousand reps for mm-hmm. toning, chances are you're probably not progressively overloading. Yeah, exactly. And you're probably not coming as close to failure as you need to to build muscle over time. So the people that are doing higher reps for 
higher reps and lighter weight um, for a significant amount of time. They're more just taxing their cardiovascular system and just just get, becoming uh, fatigued rather than actually making any progress. Mm. Yeah, so we need to get close in close proximity to failure. And it becomes increasingly more difficult to gauge that the more reps you do. Yeah, just for those that are, yeah. think, uh, are thinking, what does it mean to get close to failure? Sorry for those that find this painfully obvious. It just means um, that you can't physically do another repetition. Let's say that I use a particular weight for bench press and on my eighth repetition, my arms are shaking and that's the last one that I have. Mm. Um, if I stopped at six reps, I had two reps in reserve. I could only have done two more before I failed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we want to be getting close to failure. That's where the magic happens. Mm. So you will feel a burn, but the burn is not necessary. The burn's in your soul. Well, the burn is the burn. <laughs> the burn is the result of the effort that's necessary to grow muscle, not the stimulator thereof. Mm, it's like a symptom of. Ah, that's that's better language. Yeah, it's a symptom, not a causative factor. Mm-hmm. What else have we got? <laughs> well, we're actually kind of running out of time. So maybe we'll um, ask Chelsea a couple of quick ones and we can get some yeses or no's. All right. I've got a list here. Mm-hmm. Eating late at night. Is it going to make me? <laughs> no, no. As long as, as long as you're managing your overall calories for the day. Okay, cool. Mm. Spot reducing body fat. Can I do sit ups to lose fat in my stomach? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> Why you was, I wish it was like that. <laughs> Why am I laughing? What, I about, what about if I wrap myself in glad wrap? Ah, now, glad wrap in America. Is that saran wrap? Saran Plastic wrap. wrap. I don't know. What do you call it over there? What if I wrap, I yeah. put deep heat on my belly uh-huh. and then wrap myself in plastic? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is yes. You and go for a fast and cardio walk. <laughs> the question would be, is why didn't you wrap your legs up, you dickhead? And and um and wrist weights and ankle oh. weights at oh that. <laughs> Love it. And you got to walk with a little punch. Yeah. <laughs> hey, can I give a really quick inappropriate um story? No, that's not this podcast. I'm gonna. This podcast is serious. <laughs> My old training partner, shout out to Adam. Um, he brought deep heat to a training session once, and I've never used it before. You know this story? Mm, yes. Um, and I said, "How hot does it really get?" He's like, "Oh, pretty warm." Like pretty, and I was like, like really hot. And I go, if I put it on my nipple, would it burn? And he goes, don't do that. That's a dumb idea. And knowing that Adam has a low pain tolerance, I thought, ah, oh, can't be that hot. She'll be right. And so I put a little on. Mm-hmm. It was a terrible idea. I was in <laughs> the sink of the locker rooms for a good 20 minutes, like with my boob out in the sink, trying to get it off. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't make for a good training session. You should try saran wrapping your face. <laughs> <laughs> good times yeah, guys terrible. good times yeah that was the first and last time i'll ever put dp oh on my nipple gosh uh have i sidetracked us oh uh, no we said that one <laughs> okay oh what about fresh is healthier for food instead of canned instead or frozen? of canned or frozen uh, not not true nope um the nutrient quality isn't going to change very much so that's kind of just like focusing on the wrong things if it's more convenient for you to have frozen or canned food, then go for it. Mm-hmm. So you it's mean more important eating to- canned vegetables as opposed to eating no vegetables at all is better. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Genius. Um, all right. So we're going to wrap it up with a something worth sharing. Oh, yeah. Do you have any something worth sharing for our peoples? 
Um, well, as a group, we've just gone through the motivational interviewing course. But I'm um, going to you there because Tom shared that. That's right. What? Ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he did. He's got one up on you. So you're going to choose that one. That that's the one I was uh, that's the one I was planning on sharing. Um, what about a, what about a fictional book? What's a book you've been reading? Well, I just I just finished a book, Chelsea. While you're looking at yours, I'll give us something worth sharing. You keep looking. Um, okay. I I just finished. Well, I've got a few pages left. To be fair, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I like to think I'm highly effective, so I thought the habits would be like make sure you wake up early so you can get more done. Like I thought they'd be like little things like that. And I was like, eh, I'll read the book and, and see what few gems I can find. But actually, it is more of about like how to think and your attitude towards things. And I actually found it really, really helpful. Um, and they gave really awesome metaphors and frames of thinking that um, I have. And I'm going to continue to put into worksheets for clients to help them with their nutrition and their attitude towards food and their body and exercise. So that's my something I'm sharing. Seven and Habits of uh, Stephen Covey, yep. I believe. Yeah, cool. mm. That's a good one. Yeah. You got another um, one? Well, I know. I just looked at my bookshelf here. So one book that I've been like continuing to reference um, over the past couple of years is this one from Brett Contreras, The Glute Lab. So, I mean, this is quite intense. It's a big textbook, but it does give a lot more insight to training and it kind of goes, I think it's a good tool for anybody that's really interested in learning more about training and how to program for specific goals um so yeah it kind of goes along with what we were talking about at the end with the training mess cool would you rather Ooh, what about the other, no, given, the other questions just today? yeah no but so we haven't got the questions from the normal ones so anyway chelsea would you rather eat anything that you want in whatever quantity and not gain weight but you're about 15 percent off from being bald for the rest of your life so you've just got patches. So you've got some hair there, hanging <laughs> on, it's a bit frizzy. Everybody knows that you've got something going wrong, but, you know, or just live your current lifestyle where you have to restrict, restrain, do a little bit of extra and, uh, and live in your current body. Um, you look that sexy is as a bold lady. You said bold. Bold? Oh my God. I, <laughs> why do you do that? I don't know. I can't get it right, Dean. Just accept it. Just move on. I, I would I would choose to be partially bald. I think you would. Really? Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. I, I love I love to bake, and if I could just bake and eat all of the things that I bake, I think I think that would be awesome. Look, as, as soon as you look in the mirror and you're unhappy with all of your hair falling out, just eat a muffin, and you won't feel sad. That's right. Fine. That's <laughs> I'm impressed. Oh, she recently finished comp prep, so you can't believe yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. I've been hanging for a good cookie for a long time. Yeah, you have been. I haven't found one. I can't bake. So he's hanging for a good cookie and a good cheesecake. Can't make either of them. Sorry, Dean. Oh. Yeah. I wish I could come over there and deliver you some because I make the best cookies. Oh, maybe send me a recipe and then I'll okay. make it for him. She's like, hell no. Okay. <laughs> saving, is it, saving for that hair fall that moment is it the seven like secret spices that you can't share or is it not a secret recipe no i'll share i'll share it with you it's it's mostly just a lot of sugar and a lot of butter so nothing <laughs> healthy there that's why i that's why i would choose the hair falling out one <laughs> that's funny can you make a single cookie batch so you only have to eat one what make you, one you cookie? Do it, yeah like just one big cookie well, like, like five grams of sugar a quarter of an egg well no i don't want a 20 gram cookie i want like maybe like a, a one cookie that's like three cookies 
Well, that's still three cookies. Yeah, yeah but I mean, nobody <laughs> makes a free cookie batch either. Oh, my God. Anyways, um, <laughs> we'll wrap it up with what's going on with Flex. Our uh, Life After Dieting book, of course, as always, is still available to teach people how to let go of macro tracking once you've achieved a goal. Because some people feel like if they stop tracking their macros, they're just going to explode into a big ball of fat. And that doesn't necessarily have to be the case. So Life mm -hmm. After Dieting, we've got consult calls. We do once-off training programs. Of course, we do one-on-one -on -one coaching as well. Mm -hmm. And we're working on some final touches for our post-comp recovery program and our uh, nutrition uh, course. Blueprint. Yeah, the Dieting Blueprint. I wasn't sure if we'd confirmed the name of it yet, which is why I stumbled on saying it. So if you want to register your interest for the Dieting Blueprint or the post-comp recovery program, jump over onto the website and you can leave your interest there. Yep, or the easiest place, honestly, is quick links on Instagram bio. Oh, yeah. It has all of the, the fast links for that stuff. There you go. Too easy. Um, thanks for joining us today, Chelsea. Of course. It was fun as always. It was. There's always a, always a story thrown in there about dicks or nipples or something from me. So mm. I'm glad I can be consistent. <laughs> <laughs> I always just love Chelsea's life. Too. She's just like, ah, these guys, fuck's sake. <laughs> what have I got myself No, into? so she's laughing, but in her head, she was like, why is there no HR at Flex Success? I want to report you. <laughs> That's <laughs> reported to me, sweetheart, because I'm HR. <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll Thanks, speak Chelsea. soon. Okay, bye. <laughs>